Welcome to the Boiled Owl Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. And I'm Sam. Sam, how are you today? I'm doing all right, Don. How are you? I'm just sitting over here recovering as hard as I possibly can. You know, I prayed before we sat down and got started, hoping that that God would show up and I would have some smart quip to respond to that this time. And it's not there yet, so I may follow up on that later. But I'm glad you're recovering just as hard as you can. Are you letting go? Well... Maybe Let go, Sam. Choose. There's there's going to be claw marks. You know that. <laughs> we have a guest today. We do have a guest. Willie, welcome. Well, thank you. We're glad to have you. Thank you. Appre- appreciate you coming, Willie. Now, when did you get sober? Uh, what October, year? Uh, 1976. 76. Uh-huh. Well, that's a, that's a pretty good spell. <laughs> That's yeah. a pretty good spell of sobriety. Have you been sober ever since you first came to AA? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I've had. Uh, I hadn't had. I hadn't had to have a slip. I hadn't had to come back. I've yeah. Had, uh, I've had forty continuous wonderful years. Wow, that's so pretty amazing. Uh, that's amazing. That's very amazing. I was at a uh, at a meeting in Florida where they went around and everybody gave their. It was a newcomers meeting. And had a lot of treatment centers came to that meeting. There were three different treatment centers there. Mm-hmm. And um, I liked what they did. They went around the room and everybody said their sobriety date. So that to give hope for new people of how it works, you know. And I was feeling pretty good about 22 years. And I was feeling really good about it. And, I, you know, I, I gave my sobriety a date. And it's been 22 years. The guy next to me is 34 years. <laughs> I was going, all right. Not so new. <laughs> not, excuse, not so old. Excuse yeah, me, right? not, not yeah. so much of an old timer. But uh, tell us what, well, first off, I'd just like to know what brought you to AA. What was it about your drinking that caused you to want to go to AA? And it seems like it can be a drastic step. And you came and didn't drink again. So it must it must have been uh, it must have been bad, and I imagine that was also. I mean, AA wasn't quite so well known at that point either as it is today. No, it wasn't. Uh, I did work with a man. Uh, I, I worked at a service station from 1970 to 75, and uh, it was in an upscale part of town. But we all, everybody there, drank and. Uh, one one guy that worked with us had uh, he had a drinking problem and he actually he went to AA and he had a sponsor but uh, he would get drunk about every four to six months and his sponsor would come over and get him and take him and get him dried out and wow he would come back uh, his sponsor was Rupert <laughs> but uh, uh-huh. but you're anyway. watching that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he was the first person that ever told me that once the alcohol, he called it get you down, or it's where you couldn't go to work and couldn't function, that every time you drank after that, it would get you to the same place. Of course, I didn't believe him, but uh, 
the last what got me to AA, the last couple of years, I went through about five of those, and I would, uh, I knew about these little five-day dry-out places because he had went there. They was, uh, there was one over in Glenwood that Mr. Butner started, uh, that, uh, it's where the Crawford Center wound up, but at that time it was private. You paid $300 and you stay five days, and they give, he'd give you something to drink the first day or so, and, uh, feed you hot dogs, and, uh, and he would get you, you know, and I'd, I'd get out of there, and then I did it on my own a time or two after, but, but anyway, I'd get not drinking, and I would think, well, I'm never going to drink again, I'm not going to mess with it, and then a month, six weeks into it, in my mind, I'd start, well, I'm, I'm well now, I'm back at work, I can, I can drink a couple of beers on Friday night, and, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not going to drink during the week, and, and it would lead back to the mm -hmm. same place, but, uh, uh, did, did, of, did they call those jitter joints at that time, or is that earlier? I heard uh, uh, Fred one time uh, talk about what they, he said they used to call a dry, they didn't have treatment centers back, and I guess that was in the 60s. They didn't have treatment centers, they had jitter joints. Yeah, I've heard them call that, and uh, there was a couple in High Point that were church-run, but... Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, of course, you had to pray. You know, you had to listen to the preachers five days you were there. <laughs> you went to them. But uh, what got me to what I think probably saved my life about six months uh, before I, I got here, a friend of mine told me about a man. Well, I knew the man, but he ran a he ran a service station on Battleground Avenue, mm -hmm. and. Uh, he he'd had a bad drinking problem. I mean, everybody knew. And he said uh, he said he went to a dry out place out on on twenty nine, and he hadn't drank anything in eight months. So in uh, October of seventy six, I'd been down for a longer than usual. I I hadn't eat. I couldn't drive my car anymore. I was so weak and everything. And I had a friend of mine to take me out to this place and. Uh, they let me in and uh, rolled me in a wheelchair, but this place had the AA program. And uh, this guy and some other people in Greensboro, that, you know, they started coming out to see me. And uh, he's my sponsor today, and he's got 41 years. Uh -huh. Oh, wow. Forward. That's and cool. He's in, he's in Reesville. So what was your drinking like at the end? Because you were, you were holding down a job? Yeah, I was an I was an auto mechanic, and uh, yeah, I I could hold down the job till I'd get to where, uh, you know, I'd have to have a drink to screw in a spark plug, and and then it'd find, it'd get me down. But uh, then when I couldn't go to work anymore, there was a little service station bar above the house, and I would go up there and drink for two or three hours. And, about. I had a trailer back down on the farm. I'd go down there and and uh, hold up, yeah, and, and sleep a little while, and go back to the bar. And it was just I couldn't. I had to drink about every four to six hours to keep uh, hmm. to keep the. Uh, uh, what got me to go to the dry out the first time? I had went to Myrtle Beach with a couple of a couple of ladies and. Uh, 
on Sunday, couldn't get anything to drink. We were on our way back. I hadn't had anything to drink in about that, eight that's hours. That's because back then there was blue laws, and you couldn't hear yeah, it. You couldn't it, buy alcohol. Yeah, in South Carolina and most of North Carolina, you couldn't. You could in Greensboro, but uh, we were coming back, and uh, everything started going. I started shaking, and they thought I was going to die, but I didn't know what it was. It was DTs at the time. But, uh, you didn't, so, wow. You didn't know that you had it that bad. No, and uh, of course that, that was about two years before I got sober. The doctors was telling me, you know, that uh, either quit drinking or you're going to die, but, you know, I'm 28 years old. I don't believe any of that stuff. Still but, invincible. Yeah. Yeah, invincible. And doctors, they're just, I think they're hyper-focused on health, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah when, and in fact, the one dry-out place I went to, they did give me a card and tell me I need to go by Greensboro Cares when I, well, I went by there and uh, there was a lady there that talked to me and that's what she, she didn't tell me to go to AA, she told me that, uh, well, if you don't quit, uh, if you don't quit drinking, you won't live to be 50. And, so I didn't expect to live to be 50 anyway. So I, yeah, uh, right. I relate to that big that. time. I didn't expect to get to 40. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, the, I've got to ask you to tell us about that. Uh, I heard you uh, talking previously about um, uh, breaking into houses and tearing out the phone lines so that creditors couldn't get at you. Yeah, well, you know, the biggest thing that would happen to me was fear. You know, mm. when I would get into these. Yeah, I couldn't drink enough alcohol to get the fear away, and you probably y'all probably experienced it. I heard you uh -huh. get to where alcohol is even hard to pass out on it. You just you know you're in that. Oh yeah. But uh, fear of uh, somebody calling you on the phone or all. But in those days, you, your telephone was hardwired in your house by the bell telephone. You didn't have plug in. You couldn't plug them in and or go from room to room, wherever uh -huh. it was, and uh, the phone actually belonged to the phone company. You paid rent on it. Uh -huh. But, uh, yeah, when when you got to where you couldn't get away, you'd just take that phone cord and rip it, you know, it had the three little wires in the wall and rip the wires out, and you wouldn't have any... Uh, wouldn't be bothered. Wouldn't be bothered. <laughs> wouldn't be any bill collectors calling at that point. <laughs> And, uh, then you can yeah, hole up and just drink. Yeah, and uh, work wouldn't be calling and trying to get you to see why you wasn't coming. And yeah. All of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was... Uh, but, you know, it's a miracle I didn't die because... Because uh, you were really sick. Yeah, I Physically was, sick. I was physically... Yeah, I was... When I got sober, I had a 69 GTX Plymouth sitting in the yard probably... $78,000 in my bank account, but I couldn't even go to, I had to get somebody to take me to the liquor store to get something to drink because, and, uh. Because you're so shaky, or? Yeah, you're so shaky, and you hadn't eaten so long, and uh -huh. if you try to drive, when you go around a corner, everything, I mean, uh, wow. wow. It was, uh. So you decided to go to that treatment center. Right. And then you got. And that was it. That was it. And then you started going to AA meetings after that. Yeah, they had the AA program, and uh, they took us to a couple of meetings while we were there. And there was people, people in AA in Greensboro that knew me, 
uh, you know, uh, All right. and and I think uh, one of the biggest things, more than anything that I learned or could comprehend out of literature or the big book or anything, the fact that I seen these these guys and I knew, you know, one of them, their family had had him put in prison because he was such an embarrassment and. And he and he'd been sober for a year and a half, and uh, and I seen something in these guys. It was working for them, and also it seemed like they were really concerned that I would uh, that I would stay sober. Uh, the yeah, they really cared. Yeah, the the one guy that had to say he took me and. Uh, and he he put me to work for him, and uh, he made sure I went to a meeting every night. So he basically watched over me for about six months, except when I was sleeping. And wow, that that was really good. Six months. So that's that's after the treatment center and uh, continuing yeah. to be just going yeah, to meetings yeah. in AA uh-huh. and all. It is remarkable the generosity. I remember uh, being impressed by that in AA. It's the generosity of all the people. In, right. uh, in AA who seemed to care about me, would ask about me, call me up, take me to meetings, spend time with me. My the, my sponsor just spent countless hours with me early on, and I was like, going, this is just like, I owe this guy. Because I was, you know, I had been to therapy mm-hmm. and was paying $75 an hour. <laughs> for someone to spend an hour with for you. For to spend an hour with me. And this guy will, you know, spend six hours with me and drive me around and everything. Not one, and one point I asked him about it and said, I got to, I, you know, I got to pay you back. And he said, you will. You'll be helping others someday. And he was really serious about yeah, that. And I that's was the like, truth. Well, that's okay. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. all that generosity you know, once I was in for even just a, a couple months, maybe, um, then I was able to believe it. I, I, I realized that those folks were sincere. But when I first came to AA, that was scary. I mean, the idea of people being that willing to help you and, and that upfront about it, yeah. it was it was a little, I mean, I had not experienced it anywhere else and I didn't know how to handle it. Yeah. And so it took me a little while to even get my instant answer of no out of the way to where I would say, yes, I'll go to well, coffee with you, or yes. I know what you we, mean. It's like I didn't, can I really trust this, this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I was the same way. I'd look, well, what is it that I've got that these people want? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I had a little property, maybe, or my mother had a little property. Well, maybe it's... Uh, maybe they yeah. want that. But uh, some of these guys, I knew them, you know, and... I knew them in my drinking life, and they wasn't after anything. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, it, it, and especially when I was in treatment and they were explaining this program, I, I was trying to say, "Well, where is the game behind?" There you, you know? go. <laughs> and I never did. Uh, yeah, I couldn't. Uh, but uh, well, I felt like also that uh, all the talk about God after watching television shows of. The PTL Club, and if anybody remembers Ernest Angley, these oh, preachers, yeah. <laughs> they were on TV. They were constantly begging for money. And it just it was so transparently a scam. And then they would blow up, and there'd be a big scandal. And you'd find, oh, yeah, sure enough, he was pocketing all the money. So I came to AA, and they're talking about God, and I'm going, okay, when is their hand going to be in my pocket? You know, 
Yeah. But that didn't end up being the case. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing of our program, I think, the no money angle uh, is a a big part. Well, did you have, uh, so when you first got sober, you started going to meetings all the time. What was it like getting sober in 75, is what you said? 76. 76. 76. And and what were some of the, the groups that you went to? Well, some of them are still around. They what we had a they was about eight solid groups and and some little that uh, you know AA first started in Reedsville, uh, and I think that group's got sixty nine years. It I went to it. My sponsor goes to that group, but I went. But Reedsville started the meeting in Reedsville started before any meetings in Greensboro. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wow. Uh, Reedsville's smaller than Greensboro, so that's yeah, surprising. The guy over there was, uh, I think, somehow connected to the Reynolds family in Winston, and I think some of them had went to New York to get, and it kind of made a contact, made it back. But uh, Greensboro wasn't far behind. But they was, they was about eight. So most of them were speaker. There was a couple of uh, there was a couple of uh, discussion meetings, but uh, O Henry, well, that's where I picked up my first chip. O Henry's still going. Uh, Dogwood's still going, mm-hmm. and uh, Star Mountain's still going, and Pepsi's still Pepsi still going. So it's yeah. four still going, but. Uh, uh, when they was many that started, uh, we started a daytime meeting at Shoney's that didn't, you know, Shoney's was a big thing back then. They was five Shoney's in Greensboro uh-huh. in 76. And that I was, seem to remember going into a Shoney's that had a meeting room in the back of the, mm-hmm. of the uh, restaurant, of the main dining room. It was like a private yeah. dining room with a bunch of guys in there and thinking it was very weird. Yeah, that's where the meeting after the meeting always was, was shown is. Uh-huh. Was instead of the coffee, instead, instead of the, the boiled out coffee house. No, well, we didn't have coffee shops then, didn't right? Didn't have coffee shops and went to Shoney's. Yeah. I heard that uh, IHOP was another one yeah, that a yeah. lot of people went yeah. to, International yeah, yeah. House of Pancakes. Yeah, we, yeah, it was. What What about the program of A? So what was it like for you to to get sober? Uh, what was what was hard for you uh, when you well, first got sober, as far as the program? Well, yeah, well, the steps. The hardest the hardest thing for me uh, leading up to that and all was, and still I still try to keep my head today is the fact that you can't take one drink, you know, after that, you know, that is good, but. Uh, the the God part, I had the same thing as you. I'd had a bad experience with mm-hmm. with organized religion, but uh, they we they had a little a uh, little Sunday morning devotional meeting at the at a treatment center I was at, and uh, the guy there said, if you go to your room, get on your knees, and ask God to take desire to drink away from you, you will. And you know, I did that day, and. I have never had a serious desire to uh, to drink since mm-hmm. then, or I've never been able to tell myself out a lie that I can drink uh, mm-hmm. since then. And uh, 
But uh, outside of that, it, it I never had. Uh, I had I had a lot of living problems, but they didn't come along till on in to your sobriety. On sobriety, a little when I started getting married and raising kids and mm-hmm. and you know and you got married sober. Yeah, I got I got married uh, ten months sober and. Yeah, we just celebrated 39 years. All right. Fantastic. So, yeah. Of course, I'd had a couple of drunk marriages. And <laughs> you had? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, uh, yeah, one of them lasted two weeks and <laughs> lasted about three <laughs> years. But, uh, <laughs> so did you uh, Did you start working? The, did you get a sponsor and start working the steps when you came right in, or did that take a little while? or? Yeah, I, I had a sponsor where he he pretty much assigned himself to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, was he hard uh, a hard ass or was he easy not, going? Personally, he wasn't. But you know, in those days, they was five or six of the old timers that uh, kind of took on to the new people, and uh, they would all get on you if you wasn't doing. If you if you wasn't doing right, for so. example, like, what would they uh, tell you? Well, they, you know, if you if you didn't go to if you didn't go to meet him, one of them knew my father, and he called me by my last name. But uh, if you didn't yeah, show up, yeah, if he didn't show up meeting, or if he didn't know, you know, uh, he said you're gonna get drunk if you don't do uh, uh-huh. if you don't do so and so, and and. Uh, I know he told me one day, he said, uh, you might see some people that, you know, that you've seen in here and you might see them out drinking and it seems like they're getting away with it, but if you try that shit, you're going to die. And, right, uh, yep. Uh, he, he used to tell me that and uh, they... Uh, but you, I, cause you had a little bit in the back of your mind that you might be able to drink again, it sounds like. Yeah, you yeah, you... Uh, it, it was hard for me to comprehend the fact that you couldn't do some controlled drinking. Uh, and uh, it, uh, that, that, was, that was one of my problems. And, well, that is, it, it's amazing then that you never did relapse. Because it must have been on some level where you really, yeah. you really had understood that you couldn't. I, I think you're fighting against it a little bit. I did lots of, I always say that I had lots of relapse, but all my relapses were before I came to AA, because again and again, I told myself I was not going to drink yeah, again, I, and then I'd fail at it. I think some of it that helped me was the fact I didn't want to, I didn't want to let these guys down, you know, mm-hmm. that, that were trying to help me, and uh I mean, they they seem to really take it personal that uh, when somebody when somebody relapsed. Uh-huh. And, uh, Sounds like it might have been a, a little more tighter knit at that yeah, point. Yeah, it, it, it was. There wasn't as many people in, and after you'd been in a little while, everybody knew who you was and where you're supposed to be. And, and I think that's one of the reasons that we have the chips in AA is to put that kind of obligation that 
it worked for me. That obligation worked for me a little bit. I did not want to drink again. I got through some hard times because I wanted to get to the next chip. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know? that. On the other hand, it works against you if you do relapse because it's harder to come back in and you have to um, start over. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I think, you know, we say we stay sober one day at a time, but we keep count. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I, I'm assuming they were handing out chips when you got sober 40 years ago. They were, they were, and uh, your uh, your one year chip was actually a silver, real silver, real silver chip. Uh, what? Man, um, we're getting chipped now. We got those bronze things. <laughs> Yeah. Or aluminum. <laughs> we got these cheap aluminum chips. Yeah. What got, was it? A silver dollar? No, it was a small. So I used to get mine at Starmount, but it'd be a small, about the size of a nickel or so. Uh-huh. Uh, silver, but it was. I don't. It wasn't solid silver. But yeah. It, it had yeah. some silver in it. That's now. neat. Yeah. It would, uh, What's what has changed in um, AA from 1976 to now, what are the changes that you see? Well, one of the biggest ones was that drugs wasn't really a part of, you know, wasn't, wasn't a part of AA then. Uh, a lot of the drugs, I mean, the drugs were around, but they just wasn't, you know. Oh, burning. yeah. Because in 1976, I was doing them. marijuana wasn't looked at uh it it was a debate whether it was okay to smoke a little you know if you were like you could be in aa and smoke a little yeah you could smoke a little and be in aa but uh, wow most of the old timers frowned on it and uh then uh but but they didn't have any experience with it no, right. and, but they were they were harder, I think, on on pills. They didn't they didn't even if a doctor gave you you know a mood altering pill, they didn't they didn't like them. And, you know, he wasn't supposed to. You know, I don't know why you know the marijuana was mood altering. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah but yeah. but in any way, but then then it 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 worked out that you know if a doctor said do it, he'd do it, but. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You, you let up from then. Uh, Pills at that in the seventies though were addictive. Yeah. Uh, more there are there are pills now uh, for depression and things that are not addictive in the way that that class of drugs were in the seventies. Yeah, yeah. Some of that weight loss stuff and stuff mm-hmm. was, was actually uh, speed. Yeah, yeah, and they were prescribed a, a bit more freely mm-hmm. at that time yeah, too. I think. Yeah, I think one doctor got in trouble or something. I mean, the Rolling Stones had that famous song about Mother's Little Helper. Uh, that was about uh, what was it about? Uh, Dar Darvon? That sounds. I've, I've heard of like that. that. <laughs> uh, the clubs or another thing has changed a lot. Uh, Oh yeah, one of the biggest changes. The uh, when I came in, we just had one club. We called the Central Club, but uh, where was that? Uh, it was on Smyer Circle, uh, across okay. from Original Hams, and mm-hmm. 
uh, I've done a few months. That one caught on fire, and it, it moved up to Paisley Street uptown. But the way the, the, way the club worked then, uh, a couple times a week, you'd have an 8 o'clock meeting at the club. But outside of that, the club, the club would, uh, somebody would be there every morning, 7 o'clock, open up the club. And they would stay there all day. Uh, and they were getting paid a little bit. It'd be somebody retired or what. But they would stay there. And any time during the day that you wanted to go to the A club, you could go. And it would be there and it would be open. And it was like a meeting place. And uh, if you had any kind of problem, you could go there and there'd be somebody else there that, uh, of course, they would be in clubs. They were not exclusively to alcoholics, you know, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, they were, and uh, a lot of contractors and stuff would go there to get people to help them do things, but uh, hmm. the clubs were more of a uh, social thing, and uh, uh, you street people would come by and come in, bum cigarettes, and what, but it was... Uh, and then uh, I think for economic reasons and other, you know, now our clubs are mainly meeting, meeting houses. Right. Uh, yeah. Instead of socializing places, and there's really nowhere that I know of to socialize in AA except you know if you go out after a meeting with, you know, the meeting after the meeting. I mean, or, or unless you go to a coffee shop nowadays, uh, an hour before the meeting. You know, yeah, then you gonna yeah. find a bunch of alcoholics there too, right? Yeah, <laughs> that is, yeah. So you, now, now you organize with within your network of friends within AA to to get together before or after the meeting. But at that time, it sounds like you just go to the club, and that's where they'd be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would, uh, and uh, occasionally there'd be a, a wife would come and. Requesting help for her. Oh, I was thought uh, you were gonna say a wife would come and ruin all the fun. No, a wife would come saying, "Where's my husband?" Yeah, or requesting to get their husband twelve uh, step. Yeah. Uh, and y'all were twelve stepping then too. That was when a couple of you would go and, and sit down with the drunk and, and, yeah, and work yeah, with yeah. him, right? You had uh, you had drunk. Uh, Did you do any of that uh, twelve step work? Uh, Yes, I, I, you know, I had one man that died a couple of years ago that I was a sponsor for about 33 years, but uh, he was back on the farm drunk, kind of like I was. A couple of his mother had heard that I wasn't drinking anymore, and she called me, and uh, I went and talked to him, and uh, it, well, I knew him before, but not good, but it wound up to be a, a relationship for for all the years, but yeah, you would uh, you would actually go in people's houses and uh, and talk to them and try to get them to go to a meeting and uh, uh, I don't well the wise would be wanting to pull the liquor out, but you know we knew that that that, that wasn't that wasn't gonna work. That, 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 fix wouldn't, it. that wouldn't work. But uh, I had uh, I had one experience, but. Before I got to the program, I'd already had him trouble, but I hadn't. Uh, there was a, a very prominent man in uh, Greensboro that, uh, when I was working at the service station, the man ran the service station, told me to go to the liquor store and get fifth of some kind and take it to his house. And he lived in a very affluent part of town. And 
I didn't understand at the time, but that, that's what it was with him. He wasn't able to to get out, you know, and, mm-hmm. and go get his, uh, he was on a, on a drunk. And, uh, is there anything in, um, in the culture of AA now that has changed that you feel like it hadn't really changed for the better? I mean, here's a chance for old timer, uh, bleeding deacon. You can chance be for a- you to tell us we're doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Which there there's ample room for debate on that. True as well. Uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I think we're we're doing fairly. I don't come down. I, some of my old timer friends that uh, they uh, they think you need to be a true alcoholic to be, mm-hmm. and. Uh, but with my experience with the people, we just don't, uh, we don't have uh, the, the people that didn't do drugs. <laughs> I mean, it's, mm. it's just it's mighty not, hard it's just to find. Happen now. And uh, I think recovery is probably different now than, uh, but. Uh, In what way? Uh, well, well, you know, with alcohol, after three or four days, you know, you get dried out. I, you know, with alcohol, you didn't have a craving, but uh, the people that I have worked with that uh, has this dual addiction and stuff, it says the, uh, that they can just be driving down the road and a craving will just, yeah. you know, the drug craving will just, uh, I think the craving stays with you longer and. Uh, it's more hardwired, I think. Right, and uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really have a big problem with. Uh, so I think that it's kind of something that I learned from traveling a whole lot, and I know you've experienced this. Is like the the things if you just get sober in one place and always go to the meetings just there and never see the way it's done elsewhere. Then you're not you don't really know what is the really important stuff, and if you travel around or you see a lot of change, you can see what's really important because the question is, are people staying sober? And it may be that like chip order, <laughs> the is the not color, the, the order the, of the colors. The order of the colors is not <laughs> that important. <laughs> you yeah, know? not so much. Or um, it could be the way that the prayer is said at the end of the meeting or different sayings that have crept in that are new. Who walks on rivers and saves our livers. Which, that still gets my goat. Is <laughs> I went to a meeting out of town, and um, I so I really buy this thing that um, Fred used to say. And Now, Fred, if I were to have asked him, he's no longer with us, but if I were to have asked him what's different that's not good. He would have come up with a list of about a hundred things that were not suitable anymore. It's changed and it's worse. But uh, he, d- but I buy this. He d- he just thinks that the it, to start the Lord's prayer, it's not an opportunity for stand-up comedy act, and you don't need to have some clever saying to start the prayer, like "Who's at every meeting?" or um, "As I heard." 
at uh, a meeting out of town who walks on rivers and saves our livers, which it's not really AA. That's not really AA there. I always wanted to say, I've always wanted to start a meeting, end a meeting, everybody holding hands. It's time for the Lord's Prayer. And I'll say, who took my mother's life who never harmed a hair on anyone's head? <laughs> and just see if people would start the prayer based on that. But <laughs> I'm not about to do it. I think we're going to have you uh, lead the closing of the meeting next go-round. <laughs> yeah. one, one, one interesting thing that I had happen about six months into the program, uh, you know, the people that started the original Oxford group were still alive mm -hmm. when I came in. And Clarence Snyder actually came to Greensboro. and uh, he, The Oxford group was what... AA came out yeah, of the Oxford out of, group. Out of, uh, yeah, he was well. Anyway, he was a member of the original member of the Akron group. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, but uh, Clarence he talked a couple times. I heard him at Starmount, and uh, he talked for about an hour and forty minutes. And about an hour and ten minutes in, people started leaving. <laughs> Even, of course, and at that time, I didn't really comprehend the significance of Clarence Snyder the way that probably people would today but uh -huh. uh, uh, you know when the hour's up people are ready for the yeah hours it, it I've, I've heard meeting. it said that you'll never be alone again unless you're still speaking after the hour's up <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. right uh but uh <laughs> I I think the uh I think it may be too many meetings now. Uh-huh. Uh, it's people, you know, if they... We have... They, how many meetings do we have in Greensboro? It's, uh, I think it's over 120 at this point, a, a, a week. Which is a lot of meetings, so it does dilute other meetings. Yeah, yeah, it might I, be better for everyone to know each other better rather than... Yeah, yeah. You, you can go to meetings and not see... Uh, there's people I haven't seen in AA for four or five years, and I'll go to a different meeting, and there they are, and they, you know they go to meetings every day, but they they go to a different circle yeah. of meetings. Yeah, if you're kind of clannish and you're around the same people and you hear the same things, you're not exposed to. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't think we. I, I know I personally don't get out and uh, you know recruit people as much as uh i mean I, i'm not saying you don't go out and try to sober up anybody but uh, uh people get sober treatment centers now they call seems like for, for the most part going. i mean we're not doing 12-step work the way it used to be done these days for the most part i mean there's yeah, still some yeah. but yeah that's what uh in fact when i come if, if a family had a member that was having a problem and even even if, if they didn't get sober, you'd, we would stay in touch with the family and see if there's anything we could, you know, try to be support uh, mm -hmm. and uh, try different things to, uh, to get. Uh, so you still go to meetings regularly? Yeah, I go at least twice a week, try uh -huh. to go three times a week. Has there been a period in, in these 40 years that you stopped going? Not completely, but I had uh, uh, about three years in, uh, 
the place where I, I got a big promotion at work, but it required me to work at night. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have much AA at all during the day at that time. Yeah. Uh, so that's a bonus to having a lot of meetings. Yeah. And we have meetings around the clock here now. That's one reason I'm into Saturday morning meeting. At the time it started, uh, it's a good and, time. And we had the hospital meeting on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Of course, that interferes with church if you. But uh, yeah, that, now I guess that, yeah, like I said, that's a plus to have all the meetings because no matter when you work, you can. But I was down to probably one meeting a week for about 10 years there. Uh, All right. It, I mean, there'd be times when I was on vacation or whatever, I'd get more. Get but, a little something uh, extra in. But uh, that was the biggest thing about having the club. See, I, during the day when I wasn't working, I could just. You go still to the were AA around alcoholics. Yeah, I was still. So, sober alcoholics. That's yeah, an important I, I thing was to still, say. I was still in touch with my friends in AA. It's just we weren't in a formal meeting. Gotcha. Yeah, you know that fellowship is, is one of the big things. I mean, obviously, we have to work this program. I, you know, I have to work the program. i got to go to meetings so that I can hear other people talking about stuff. That uh, and, and also to show up and, and help the, the people who are new hear what they need to hear. Right. But that fellowship, you were talking about the meeting after the meeting at Shoney's and, uh, and that type of thing that's still going on. That fellowship is such a big deal, I think, for our sobriety. We got to know each other outside of the meetings. Yeah, yeah. And hey, if I had a problem with real estate, I'd know somebody in the program that was in the real estate. I'd go talk to them. You know, mm-hmm. I, well, my problem to the type person, you know, to a person that I knew was either going through the same thing or had expertise in right in what I was. Uh, You're saying like if you were bent out of shape about some real estate problem. Then you go to a real someone yeah, yeah, who deals yeah, yeah. real estate yeah, in yeah. the program and talk right, about it. Right, right. Well, it's just easier to talk with somebody. If I've already got a baseline commonality with someone, we're alcoholics who are in recovery. Then we've already got this common language, this common experience that we're we're talking from, and it means that it's that much easier to talk about anything else. That's right. All right, Willie. Thanks for sharing your story with us. Now, it's time for our old-timers question, and I want you to participate with this one. <laughs> 1976, maybe you qualify as an old-timer. <laughs> All right, well, it is. We, oh, the owl. Where's that owl? It flies around up there. It flies around is it in the tree? <laughs> All right, it is time for our old-timers question from a listener. Who are you calling an old-timer? I'm calling Willie an old-timer. <laughs> Willie's I an old I think you're a whippersnapper. I'm a whippersnapper today. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. It's still one day at a time, but that's what happens when you stay sober long enough, right? That's right. All right, now listen up. Sean in Midway, Vermont. A likely story. Well, you know, I tend to make things up from time to time. Tells us, or asks us, how do I know if I'm really an alcoholic? What say you old-timers? That's a good question. The, I think the answer to that is if, if you ever drink when you don't want to drink, you're an alcoholic because someone who's not an alcoholic wouldn't drink. And it's, it's pretty much uh, 
pretty much that simple. My wife will have a glass of wine or not. Or She'll, half a glass, right? <laughs> or half a glass and quit because that's all she wants. And if she doesn't want more, now the question is that, that used to drive me crazy was I would say, yeah, but it's not that I have to have another glass of wine. It's that I want another glass of wine. And I got to the place where I would go, okay, I'm not going to drink today after work. And I would come home from work and I'd say, I'm not going to drink today after work. And I'd go into the kitchen. I'm not going to drink today. I'd go to the refrigerator. I'm not going to drink today. I'm going to have a Dr. Pepper. Open refrigerator door. I'm not going to drink. I'm going to have a Dr. Pepper. I'll see the beer. Oh, I changed my mind. I think I'll have a beer. And then I'd be drunk again at the end of the night. And that was totally a, an I changed my mind thing. It I, wasn't that I didn't have a choice. That's right. But actually, I never had the choice. Exactly. And at one point, it was just absolutely clear to me that drinking was controlling my thinking. And that's what alcoholism is. So at that point, I gave it up. What would you say, Willie? Yeah, definitely. People that... I, I was telling my wife the other day... I. I've got uh, about five automobiles, and my grandson's always borrowing them. And uh, from time to time, they they leave beer in in the car. Right? And I told my wife, I said they're definitely not not alcoholics. They wouldn't leave. They wouldn't leave any <laughs> You're beer. You're saying they're leaving <laughs> full beers? Yeah, well, not like, empty cans. Full yeah, beers. Like buy a six pack, drink three, leave three in. Oh, the that car. ain't right. Uh, <laughs> so they're definitely not. Uh, yeah. Uh, when I came in, uh, one of the roughest old-timers it was, uh, if somebody said they didn't know if they were alcoholic or not, he'd say, well, quit for 90 days and uh, come and see how that, or if they were uh, if they were sober at the time, and uh, I mean, this probably wasn't good, but if they said, well, I'm struggling with it, they'd say, well, uh, try some more drinking and see how it works, <laughs> if right. you don't... Uh, if you don't know you're uh, you're an alcoholic, uh, right? Yeah. AA doesn't have anything against drinking. No, well, it's it's if you want to quit, then this is a way to do it. Well, it even says it in the big book that if if you have doubts, go out to your nearest barroom, uh, bar, bar room, and and try some controlled drinking. Yeah, it's that's better to lose that bit of time that you've got of sobriety to find out without a doubt that you're an alcoholic rather than to struggle through it all along, questioning it, you know? If I wasn't an alcoholic, I'd get drunk every night. If I could drink like a normal person, <laughs> I'd do it constantly. Yeah. I would do it constantly. So there it is. <laughs> the normal people don't want to do it constantly. They don't want to do it constantly. Mm -hmm. I had a conversation with my brother one time who asked me, what is an alcoholic? And I said... Uh, well, you know when you have a drink and you get this feeling like of effervescence and everything just starts to come into focus and it's like the whole world brightens and you get control of everything and you're no longer have doubts or fears, you have confidence in everything. And he looked at me with a pained expression on uh -huh. his face. Like the one I've got right now. Like what you have <laughs> right now. And he said, uh, 
Well, that's not what happens to me. <laughs> if I have a drink, everything starts, the first one's nice, but after that, everything starts to get fuzzy and out of control. Well, I was going, wow, that's it. Yeah. I have a different reaction. Absolutely. I think you might be an alcoholic, Don. I have a different physical reaction to alcohol than well, you, someone who's yeah. not. For me, I mean, I, I know without a doubt that I am an alcoholic. Uh, and that's because, you know, you, you talked about drugs earlier, Willie. You know, throughout my drinking career, drugs were a part of Matter of fact, I started smoking pot before I ever started drinking alcohol regularly because I could get my hands on it. Mm-hmm. But every drug, every single drug that I tried in those, in those years, I was able to put down. By myself, I didn't need anybody's help quitting that drug. But alcohol, I couldn't stay stopped. I would always go back and have that, that I'm not going to drink today, I'm not going to drink today. I was doing it driving home. Mm-hmm. With you know, The hangover had finally uh, passed. Yeah. And I'm driving home from work, and I'm not going to drink today, I'm not going to drink today. And it was either turn right to go home or keep going straight to go to the liquor store, and I invariably kept going straight to the liquor store. And, and I just I couldn't stay stopped. Alcohol always won. I know I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. And I couldn't, uh, I could after I drank the first drink or the first beer, to I, I was going to drink one beer, two beers, and not drink anymore, and that never worked. I mean, you, uh, <laughs> wind up, you wind up drinking 12, 15. And, Whoops. Yeah, it's after, after that first drink, I don't know where it's going to go. I have yeah. no idea where it's going to go. Yeah, yep. something takes over in our brain, and mm-hmm. uh, normal people, it doesn't happen. That's and, it. Or maybe they're abnormal. Willie, thanks for joining us today. This has been great. Indeed. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. There's that owl. Duck! (laughs) That's not a duck. It's an owl. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl Podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org. Leave us feedback or ask a question on the blog or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services.